Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book study, the 7 a.m. Eastern Time meeting. My name is Monica T., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater, and today is Monday, September 24th, 2018, and today we are reading from the big book. We are starting Chapter 9, The Family Afterwards, on page 122. And we will be reading three paragraphs, starting with our women folk have suggested through three paragraphs, ending with many wander and lose their way. And comments will be taken on all three. And today's readers are the 12 Steps, Roz G, 12 Traditions, Martha M, our text readers, Martha Z, Allison L, Craig F, Our newcomer greeter today is Lynn F., and the host for the second hour today is Rebecca F. And the share ID for yesterday, Sunday, September 23rd, is 11,949-11949. OA Preamble, Overeaters Anonymous, is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. And I will now ask Roz G. to read the 12 steps of OA for us, please. Bronze G, we can't hear you. Star one. Good morning. I was muted. (laughs) Um, Okay, number one, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed, and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, 
continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you. Thank you, Roz G. And I will now ask Martha M. to read the 12 Traditions of OA for us, please. Good morning, Monica. This is Martha M. I'm a recovering compulsive overeater, and I thank you for your service and support. Number one, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. 12. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you. Have a great morning. I pass. Thank you, Martha M. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. I will time, be timing. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinent requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinent requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. And once you're done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted.
And today we are resuming our study of the big book. We are starting the new chapter 9, The Family Afterwards, on page 122. And we will be reading three paragraphs. And it starts with, Our women folk have suggested, through three paragraphs ending, may wander and lose their way. And with that, I am going to ask Martha Z if she would read for us, please. Good morning, Monica. This is Martha C. Thank you for your loving service. I'm a compulsive overeater, recovered compulsive overeater from outside of Philadelphia. Chapter 9, The Family Afterward. Our women folk have suggested certain attitudes a wife may take with a husband who is recovering. Perhaps they created the impression that he's to be wrapped in cotton wool and placed on a pedestal. Successful readjustment means the opposite. All members of the family should meet upon the common ground of tolerance, understanding, and love. This involves the process of deflation. The alcoholic, his wife, his children, his in-laws, each one is likely to have fixed ideas about the family's attitude towards himself or herself. Each is interested in having his or her wishes respected. We find the more one member of the family demands that others concede to him, the more resentful they become. This makes for discord and unhappiness. And why? Is it not because each wants to play the lead? Is not each trying to arrange the family show to his liking? Is he not unconsciously trying to see what he can take from the family life rather than give? Cessation of drinking is but the first step away from a highly strained, abnormal condition. A doctor said to us, Years of living with an alcoholic is almost sure to make any wife or child neurotic. The entire family is, to some extent, ill. Let families realize as they start their journey that all will not be fair weather. Each in his turn may be footsore and may straggle. There will be alluring shortcuts and bypaths down which they may wander and lose their way. Good morning, my friends in recovery. Wow, there is so much here. Um, The first part I wanted to talk about is is the part where it talks about the impression that he's to be wrapped in cotton wool and placed on a pedestal, and that successful readjustment means the opposite. And it took me back to when I was in treatment years ago, and they were talking about the period when you come home being a convalescent period. And I remember smiling and laughing because I had two young children, and I was on call in the airport. So I was not having any convalescing there. There was, there was no cotton wool wrapping going on. Um, Then it says, all members of the family should meet on the common ground of tolerance, understanding, and love. And it makes me think of the uh, step nine prayer, which is show me the way of patience, tolerance, kindliness, and love. And um, my husband certainly had a lot of patience and a lot of love with me as as we adjusted back. Um, Then it talks about um, the process of deflation and um it re- it made me start thinking about tradition 1 which says um our common welfare should come first personal recovery depends on OA unity because what it means is that that has to do with our family as well um that that um the family as a whole is what's most important not any individual member and um then the the next paragraph, when it talks about each wanting to play the lead, it, it takes me back to um, Chapter 5, how it works, where it talks about being the actor and arranging the show. And 
Anyway, um, then it says, is he not unconsciously trying to see what he can take from the family rather than give? And it, it <laughs> the spoiler alert is in a couple pages we'll be talking about how giving rather than getting is the guiding principle. And um, then the, the next paragraph, succession of drinking is but it says the first step. There it is, first step away from a highly strained abnormal condition. And that is our first step. Um, and that takes me back to um, Chapter 6, where it talks about um, the alcohol as being like the tornado roaring its way through the lives of others, and that sobriety is, is not enough, and, then, um, and that there's a long period of reconstruction ahead. And then it says we must take the lead, and, and there are times sometimes when I think, oh, I'm always the way that I'm always the person who has to be understanding and patient and think of everything else. And I think, yeah, but I'm the one who is blessed with so much recovery. You know, I'm the one that's in recovery. And I, it's my part to take the lead. And I am so grateful for it. So anyway, thanks for all being here. I love this chapter. And this chapter is all about relationships and finding the best possible relationships. And and um, grateful that that that's been my experience in recovery. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Martha Z. And who would like to share this morning? This is Ruth Katie H. from Boston. Ruth. Larry K. Katie, Larry. Anybody else? Jason S. Jason. Melissa C. Melissa. Oh, you're being so nice to me this morning. Okay, this is what I got. Ruth, um, I didn't get your last initial, so you'll have to tell us that when you when you start. Ruth, Katie G, Larry K, Jason S, and Melissa C. So, Ruth, it's your, you're up. Thank you, Monica. Yes, it's Ruth H. Um, gratefully recovered in Connecticut. Um, you know that this is this whole reading just really spoke to me. The more one member of the family demands that the others concede to him, the more resentful they become. This makes for discord and unhappiness. You know, I've been really trying to um, work through some feelings of returning aggravation with my husband regarding his messiness and his tardiness. You know, things I've ten steps so many times before. But, you know, again, this passage is just what I need to hear, reminding me that I need to, to meet him with tolerance, understanding, and love instead of taking his inventory and, um, and allowing resentment to build. You know, it's helping me to look at it from his point of view that, you know, and it's in addition to my obsession with the food and the concessions he has to make to accommodate me, you know, like not being able to be as spontaneous as he would naturally like to be about where and when we eat, you know, I also have to remember that I, you know, because of my disease, I want to run the show, but that all those efforts um, doing so, you know, um, those, those efforts as the director, they just failed me. You know, I was reminded last night, um, thank you, the fellow who posted it, you know, of the passage in the AA 12 and 12, that justifiable anger is better left to those who can handle it. Again, exactly what I needed to hear, you know, as I was falling into that trap that my anger was justified, you know, that my husband was being selfish and unfair, you know, that old poor me, poor me, you know, it, that could easily lead me to pour me a frappuccino and I'll take a piece of cake to go with it. 
you know, again, as the AA reading pointed out, you know, I'm just not skilled at separating justified from unjustified anger. So I pray today that God just helps me stay on my side of the street and on that common ground of tolerance, understanding, and love. And I'm so appreciative for this meeting and for this reading. So thanks so much for letting me share. On that, I pass. Thank you, Ruth H. Katie G., you're up, and then it'll be Larry K. Good morning, Monica. Good morning, my fellows. Katie G., recovered. Yeah, I guess what's going through my head today is um, I did grow up in an alcoholic home, and, and that's not why I'm a compulsive overeater today. Um, but it is important to know that because I don't know what healthy is, right? Like I um, I came in, and I um, thank you, God, I'm recovered today, um, and I do have a family Um, But I don't know what a healthy uh, framework should look like. And um, I was, I was asking myself, why does it, why does practicing tolerance, understanding and love require deflation? And it's because again, step one, like my ego is rebuilding, like the great Katie, like she knows what husband should be doing at all times. She knows what the family should be doing at all times. She knows, um, and the you know the poor man, like I'm I'm his wife, right? Like I'm not his manager, I'm not his supervisor, I'm his wife, I'm a teammate, and it's not my job to tell him what to do, to tell him how to live, and so to practice tolerance, understanding, and love, you know that means like the whole world, the whole family can't you know dance around the needs of katie that's not the way the world works that's not how it works and most importantly if it starts to work that way or function that way resentment's going to build and what's going to happen eating's going to be a step up from how i feel right and so i have to continue to learn and thank you god god is so loving he keeps showing me how i want my needs first and this has been a process for me like I remember before we were even married and we look at days very differently like he wants to just go with the flow I want a plan and so what does it mean right to surrender thy will not mine be done God how can I be of service and how do I how do I become that person and I've really recently um, been using the sex prayers saying God I earnestly pray for the right ideal as his wife today guidance guide me show me where I'm being selfish and thank God like I can say to him now wow I you know KDG is kind of taken over how about you how about you do what it is you want to do um you know selfishly i'll make comments about you know how he might be spending his time what he's doing and it's like it's not my business he doesn't make comments about my program why am i why am i making comments about his life like we're a team and how can we function in a healthy way and um i'm so grateful that this is showing me like i i don't get to be on a pedestal today right like i get to do these 12 steps so i function at baseline right baseline everybody else already has this stuff and so it is an honor and a privilege to continue to learn how i can how i can put others first stay abstinent recover and be of maximum service to those around me and with that i pass thank you kdg larry k you're up followed by jason f good morning good morning thanks so much monica for your service um you know, when I was a kid, uh, we, we would we would play basketball, 
I remember in gym class and, you know, there was time to go get the ball, you know, go get a ball and shoot around. And there was nothing worse than getting a ball that was deflated. It didn't, you know, so that word for me, you know, I, I wanted a ball inflated. You know, there was something about that, that it just, it didn't work very well. So when, when you talk about deflation, doesn't, you know, that, that word doesn't hit me perhaps the way, it, um, the way it should, you know, the, um, the family afterwards, there's going to be this long period of reconstruction we learn and the spiritual way out is not an abstract theory or even about scientific facts. It's really about a changed life through these stages of actions that we take. It's about, it's all about change and the spiritual way out through the steps is about acknowledgement of a few things. It's about the acknowledgement of our hopelessness of the condition. We can't solve this ourselves. It is, it is about acknowledgement of deflation of the self-centered ego. So there it is. I have to be open to the deflation of my self-centered ego. It's about acknowledgement of some sort of conversion experience. There's another word I didn't like because I associated that with like a convert. No, conversion, not the religious kind. Rather, a conversion from the bottom to something higher. I, I, there was a conversion from eating to abstinence. There was a conversion through this process from a self-centered existence to a God-centered existence. And even in the family, from destructiveness in my relationships to better human interactions, you know, I can get along today. And it's not perfect by any means. So all of these conversion changed experiences went from something not so good to something a lot better, meaning change, transformation, metamorphosis. It means the same thing. It's an alteration of what we were. And in our families, we have an alteration from who we used to be towards something much better, something sustainable where we can accept people. That's a tough one for me to accept people just where they are. I don't have to wrap them in wool. I can just accept them. They, that if there is a God, if God exists, then, that, then God either is or God isn't, that, then God is aware of where that person is. And maybe they'll transcend that. Maybe they'll be in a different place at another time. So um, I'm very grateful for this program, and I'm grateful for the deflation today. With that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry Kay. Jason S. It's your turn, and then it'll be Melissa C. Good morning, family. Uh, my name's Jason S. I'm a grateful, recovered, responsible uh, reader from Alberta, Canada. Um, yeah, I was reading this cha- chapter here, and uh, yeah, that process of deflation was uh, one of the things that stuck out for me. Um, and what I got from that was... Um, Partly that I don't have to own others' feelings. Um, they're not mine to own. Like my experience and what I've worked on with this is that my family expected behaviors that I would normally do. And I'd want to control them and try and uh, change their perception of how I was, you know, now that I was in recovery. Um like, for instance, like when my wife, she'd call me out on things, I'd want to react right away and, and uh, you know, try and uh, mold what she what she thought of me. And, you know what, I'm not God, and 
um, I try to force the issue that I changed, and uh, but this time around, uh, and how I'm applying it in my life is I let my actions for themselves, and like I don't need to fluff things up. Um, you know um, that saying, "Bless them, change me," and then you stop playing God comes to mind. Um, and I just had to empathize with my wife with uh, the fact of how I had acted, you know, um, in my addiction and uh, and own it. And, uh, you know, I think that the point where my wife started telling me that I had changed and she saw the program working in me, that I knew uh, God was working in my life. And, uh, you know, it just reaffirmed my choice to seek God more. And, uh, you know, the fact that I was used to fighting and arguing all the time um, was a big change. And so this change of view from her, you know, gives me faith that God has worked in my life for sure. So even with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Jason S. Melissa C., it's your turn. Hi. Good morning, Monica. Thank you for your service. Good morning, everyone. It's Melissa C., recovered compulsive overeater and um yeah, I'm thinking about like my role in the family afterwards and how different it is um when I was, you know, really sick in my disease that um you know my family was held hostage by by me, by my desires, by my moods, um, by my depression. Um my need for food, it, it, it like drove everything. And, you know, and so how is that, you know, how is that different today, you know, in now in my role afterwards? Um, because I can still like run amok in this family if I'm not understanding, tolerant, and loving. And, um, you know, this trying to run the show, um, I really think and and I really believe that I do know what's best for my family. Like I know the I know the, the script and and if everybody just gets on board and follows it everybody should be happy. And when I hear myself say that out loud, I laugh because you know, what can I possibly know? I'm a nearly a 50-year-old woman who has to write down and report my food, the most basic of like human things to another person because that's how little sometimes I know, you know, and um, what does it mean really to be patient, tolerant, you know, tolerant, loving, and understanding today? Um, It means that I had to let go of some lifelong um, things that I had really believed, one of which is if mom's not happy, then nobody's happy. Um, no, not true. I can be happy and still nobody's happy, or I can be unhappy and I don't have control over the happiness of others either. And um, and the other thing is that I'm as happy as my least happiest child. And I always grew up hearing that from, from my parents, you know, like, you know, we're as happy as our least happiest child. And that sounds really, that sounds loving in some ways, but it's really not, because that is too awesome a responsibility to place on a human being. 
Like, how dare I make my children responsible for my happiness? That is not ego deflation. That is like holding them hostage. Now they're responsible for me to be happy. Um, and, and so I've had to let that go. And, um, and that's part of my role as the family afterwards. I have to sometimes tolerate people who are not really happy, and it's okay. And I have to love them when they're not really lovable, you know, and that's okay too. Um, that sometimes is the best that I can offer my family, that, um, you know, I got up this morning with a smile on my face. I meditated and prayed. I, I hope to God the rest of my family can huh. learn something from me. Thank you, um, because that's my role today, you know, to, to guide the way, not force. And um, thank you with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Melissa C. And to those who may have come on a little bit later, we are on page 122. We're starting the chapter, The Family Afterward. We have read the first three paragraphs of the chapter. And who else would like to comment this morning? Anita J. Mary B. Anita. Anita. Lisa B. Mary G. Okay, I got Ross, Anita, Lisa. Go ahead. I missed somebody. Go ahead. Mary G. Mary. Anybody else? Okay, well, this is what I've got. I got Russ M, Anita. Oh, I can't remember your last initial. Lisa B and Mary G. Go ahead, Russ. Good morning, Monica. Good morning, my fellows. Russ M, recovered compulsive overeater outside of Philly. One of my favorite chapters. You know, when I, when we go through this, I just think of my own family. You know, uh, not not so much me, but my my dad, my uncles, my grandfathers, being alcoholics and gamblers, and the destruction that they they wreaked on the family, and it was passed down, and all this, and all these lies I believed in my head that you know it was because of their behavior that I'm a compulsive overeater. It's you know, I was born with it, right? We ha- we have these tendencies, but uh, then, then I started thinking about my own life, you know, with all the all the damage that I've created. And now that I'm working a program and I'm recovered, that how I, you know, I always say the gold star. I want that gold star on my forehead and a pat on the rear end for doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And it's hard because I we battle. We battle this disease and it beats us up. And any little glimmer of hope we have, you know, really, you want a little credit. You want to feel good about it because you've been in this direct for all these years, right? But, you know, I can't approach it that way. And that was that was making my family neurotic on the other end, you know, right from, from when I'm recovered, not while I was in the food. So, you know, it's not fair. It is ego deflation, and you got to work at it every day. And, you know, i got to tell, you know, I, I can't be God to everybody. It just can't be God to everybody. You know, they asked my, uh, my son at a basketball game, right? And they got their socks knocked off by 40 points. They got crushed. I get in the car, and I'm talking to my son, Joe. And I'm like, Joe, this is what you should have did. And this is how it should have happened. And the coach should have did this. And this. And then I think, I said, Joe, forget what I just said, because if I was so good, I'd be coaching in the NBA. And that's how I approach life sometimes, with everybody, in every situation. And it's just especially with my family, because they're the closest to me. And, you know, my goal 
and, and my prayer is that God can continue to deliver me from me putting my ego in everything and just letting it roll, letting him be God and me not be God and just try to enjoy my family the way they are because they're pretty damn beautiful. So that's all I got. You guys have a beautiful day. Thanks for, thanks for this awesome meeting. Thank you, Russ M. Anita, you're up, and then Lisa B. Anita, I didn't get your last initial. I'm sorry. That's all right. Sometimes I don't get it either. It's it's Anita J. from out Massachusetts way, gratefully recovered here. And um, I starting my timer. Um, you know what? Uh, the difference between the family afterwards recovered and the family afterward abstinent is like, oh, my God, there's no comparison. You know how many times the family afterwards when I was abstinent, since I was abstinent only, or a little bit of this uh, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, very little, some of it, that's when um, everybody was so strained and confused and my demands were still... I still wanted to be uh, their lives to wrap around me because I couldn't eat just anywhere or I couldn't eat at any old time. And I, I, I. And, you know, the kids were living here when I first started with my abstinence. Now when I read this, I see why, why this was all going on, why people were looking at it from their point of view, because during all those years, everybody was playing roles they shouldn't have had. My daughter should have just been playing daughter. You know, daughter starting with dolls and skipping rope and um, learning to uh, have friends and, you know, all of that. Not being responsible for the family's happiness and she had the insight enough back then to pick a college away from us. And one of the reasons she said was, I don't even think she understood it. And I, and I, anyway, that she didn't want, she'll be worried about us. If, are we still going to get, get along? So she went from Massachusetts to Florida. So she couldn't get back. And I see that I set all that up. She should just have been a little girl. And my son, that we're not going into all of it. But um, I kept wanting to shape him up. Like, surely if I shape him up, <laughs> I'll be all right. The point of all this is everybody, I had a different expectation. And in the last four and a half years, I don't have any, and there's no pedestals. Pedestal is a dirty word. No pedestals for anybody. And um, what a relief. I have joined the human race where all these people have been living all along, and some of them don't even know it, that we're all equal. I don't care where you are in your program or your life. We're all equal, and I'm grateful for it, and I pass. Thank you, Anita J. Lisa B., it's your turn, and then it'll be Mary G. Good morning. My name is Lisa B. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Greenville, South Carolina, and I'm very grateful for this reading and uh, for the opportunity to study here with all of you and to be recovered and to be clear 
in my mind um, <clears throat> and in my spirit. I like the line where it talks about um, having them wrapped, let me find it here, wrapped in cotton wool and placed on a pedestal. One of the things that I'm really grateful for is to be learning slowly not to be so thin-skinned. Um, I've taught people. I have learned how to teach people by looks and my words and my behaviors or giving them um, the cold shoulder that if they don't talk to me in the way I want to be talked to, if they don't treat me like I'm this fragile little thing, you know, they're going to get in trouble. And I've been so manipulative all through the years because I have been so thin-skinned. And that's because my reliance has been on them, my dependency, you know, my very happiness, my very stability and sanity depended on them being a certain way so that I could be okay, you know, and I learned that through going through the steps, and that's why I'm so grateful for the clarity of mind today, um, the stability that I have today, and it started with putting down my, my substances so that I could really hear and understand what was being presented to me in this book and you know as a result now I learn every day it's like learning to play the violin in public you know it really is it's um it's never a degree that I'm going to get I will always be learning as long as I'm interacting with people um I will be learning and even if I were on an island alone you know I could drive myself crazy because the enemy could be, you know, inside of me. And that's what I've learned. So my dependency is those faulty dependencies that often comes out in my 10 steps. And I love Bill's article. Bill Wilson wrote an article in the grapevine many years ago to help those faulty dependencies. It's what contributed, he felt, to his depression. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk about is each in his turn may be foot sore and may straggle. There will be alluring shortcuts, and it reminds me what's in the chapter, how it works. There are no shortcuts. That I am the alcoholic, I am the addict, the compulsive overeater. It's imperative that I not allow myself to be disturbed. And any time I'm disturbed, that means that I have straggled somewhere, and there are alluring shortcuts. And I think, oh, this will be okay. And no, it's not. It's not. You know, the, the goal today is to not be disturbed. And I used to think that sounded unrealistic. But it is possible. It is possible to be peaceful, you know, in a storm. Because when I'm not depending on those faulty dependencies outside of me. So that's all I wanted to share. I pass. Thank you, Lisa B. Mary G., it's your turn. Thank you. My name is Mary G., and I'm recovered in upstate New York. And the line that jumped out at me this morning is, each in his turn may be foot sore and may struggle or straggle. And why that popped out was because I thought of my husband and how how often I don't have compassion for all the time that he spent with me in my isolation, hiding my eating, just hiding myself away from him, literally leaving the house, leaving him at home so I could eat alone in my car, and and then expecting him as a recovered person to be suddenly, miraculously, 100% present to me. Why isn't he present to me? Why isn't he able to be intimate? Why isn't he vulnerable? Um, well, he learned how not to be in this relationship with me. He didn't learn to be safe with me in this relationship with me or to be um, 
comfortable being alone with me in this relationship with me any more than I did. So having love and tolerance and compassion for both of us as we struggle to get back into relationship with one another is is what this chapter is and what this line is reminding me that, yeah, as was just said, there are alluring shortcuts and bypaths that one of my shortcuts is get me out of here. <laughs> I don't even really want to do this. Um, but to realize that, that the process is possible with the 12 steps and by my continuing to look at myself and continuing to to grow in in my own spirituality and and extending tolerance to him for what he went through with me. So thanks for listening. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Mary G. And we are on page 122, beginning of Chapter 9, The Family Afterward. We have read the first three paragraphs. And who else would like to share this morning? Bonnie B. Barbara E. Barbara. Janice P. Janice. Okay, this is what I got. This um, this is what I got. I got a Sarah. I got, no, first I got a Bonnie B. I got a Sarah. I got Barbara E. I got Deb W. And Janice PM. Um, so Bonnie B., you're up, followed by Sarah. Did you call my name Bonnie B.? I did. You're up. Well, thank you. I was unmuting, thinking I was down the road. Good morning, everyone. <laughs> thank you for... Um, Gosh, thank you for this. I've just come back from um, uh, my first uh, combo of three days away from my home. Today is my first month anniversary of abstinence and being part of this program very actively. And I uh, didn't take a scale. I didn't go to a meeting. I didn't call anyone. Uh, It was a whirlwind trip. I'm not sure what that's supposed to mean. but I used to think it meant something. I was so busy I couldn't call you. Um, and by the grace of everything, I I kept my abstinence uh, and my um, ego deflation uh, was one of the things I committed to. I tend to try to work a room when I'm um, full of sugar. And because I didn't have any sugar, I didn't want to work the room as much. And I also made the commitment to support my friend. I was at her father's funeral. So the process of ego deflation uh, is very important to me. I come from a family where mom would constantly say things, things that she thought were just the very best thing because we all come from generations of people who, according to this, um, uh, you know, almost sure to make any wife, child, member of the family an erotic Uh, she would say, honey, do this. It will put a star in your crown in heaven. Um, So can you see the uh, self-promotion there? If I do it, I'll get something. Um, And boy, would I work at trying to get that, and it would be for me. And no wonder I got kind of wacky on how how to give and be with people. She would say things like, pretty is as pretty does. And so I get something there, too, if I'm on, I mean, she taught me that being pretty is quite a thing to achieve and work toward. Um, Really, I found out was 
all of this was her agenda. Um, so I had to run around and figure out how the hell does pretty does so I could get what I wanted. So a highly strained abnormal condition I lived in. Um, mom was an overeater. Dad was an alcoholic. Um, I, you know, I got my overeating legitimately. Um, my sister uh, is very obese. Uh, my brother and sister don't have a program. As a matter of fact, they're sorry I do because they think I belong to a cult. Uh, but, but just this idea of how subtly I have manipulated people all these years is, is really, it's sad to me. And I realize how unfortunate it was for me because all I wanted, all I wanted to do was be part of the human race. And, and, and this program helps me to do that like 180 of what I was taught. So um, this process of ego deflation uh, is, um, is <laughs> it's good, it's challenging. Um, but as I look upon the rest of my lifetime, I'm not that young, then thank you. I, um, I, I'm just grateful to hang with you guys, be with you, and uh, work toward um, right livelihood or right living. Thank you. Thank you, Bonnie B. Sarah, you're up. I didn't get your last initial, followed by Barbara E. Sarah, I think I heard a Sarah. Star one, Hi, this mute. Is, I'm sorry. Uh, this is Sarah F. from New Jersey. Go ahead. Okay, hi. Um, so I was told I have to start participating. I, I listen uh, on a daily basis, and uh, it's going to be my meetings. I need to uh, participate. Um, so anyway, glad to be here today. And, um, yeah, my family used to call me the director. And, um, you know, I was the youngest of five, and, and I, you know, tried to run the show fairly successfully. Um, but I'm sure I created a lot of resentments, and um, you know. So as I, you know, I got, I'm in recovery, and I, I went the total opposite way. I just said, you know what? I'm, I'm getting out of everybody's life, and you know, just going to worry about myself, and and all that. And then my sister-in-law comes to me, and she says, you know, how come you're not planning anything? How come you're not doing anything? So, you know, this this um this road to recovery has been learning how to balance in my life, you know, um and and you know, not go to the extreme that, you know, my addiction likes to take me. Um, you know, as an as an addict, I um, you know, either go from high to low and, you know, so so daily, on a daily basis, I ask God to help me be balanced, to, you know, not to swing too high or swing too low, because those are all triggers for me. And and the, and the and having to um, try to run other people's lives, you know, it's just not healthy for me. It's not the right thing to do. Um, I'm a little challenged now because my two sons are in their mid-20s. And, um, you know, it's like how much is parenting and how much is, is letting them live their life. And I'm really trying to let them live their life um, because they have their own higher power. So uh, anyway, and, you know, my first marriage, I really had a huge part of, of, of 
ruining because of my controlling behavior. I mean, I can think of things I did and I cringe. So my 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 marriage now is so much different. You know, I just, you know, I like what other people shared of, you know, allowing him to be who he is and um, because he allows me to be who I am and um and he's been on my side so that's all i got thank you thank you sarah f barbara e it's your turn and then it'll be deb w good morning thank you this is barbara go ahead barbara e. thank you so much wow there's so much meat in these uh, in these several uh paragraphs cessation of drinking is just the first step Years of living with me and my disease definitely affected my family negatively, especially my husband. He was constantly walking on eggshells, not speaking of the elephant in the room, metaphorically and physically, unfortunately. Also, when I embraced a program, any program, but especially this program, I became an enthusiast, running to extremes, trying to convince him and my husband to follow this path, to accept the steps of the program, talking of nothing else. It was not my part to convince them of anything. They had to follow their own path. And they also could not place me in cotton wool, not denying themselves what they wanted because they were so concerned that I might eat it. I believe that the family should collaborate to understand how they were going to handle me um, in this situation. I, I always thought I knew how the family should be living, and the whole family can't perform to my suiting. I had to surrender my will. Uh, I can't make comments about my husband constantly playing games on his computer and that I feel neglected. I can tell them, I miss you, honey bunch. Come on upstairs and spend some time with me, but not nagging, not complaining. I tried to convince my son to join this program. I left literature strategically around his apartment when he was living in California. He called me up and said, Barbara, well, not Barbara, Mom, I know what you're doing. I'm throwing it away. It's not for me. These are all crazy people. I had to back off. He's living his own life. And surrender. Soul surgery is what I call it. Transforming to being each day kinder, gentler, more accepting, less impatient, and above all, less thin-skinned when dealing with my family at home. This is a beautiful program, but it's not for everyone. It's for me, and that's wonderful. And that I have to some extent given up my mercurial moods, my anger, my sarcasm um, when people disagree with me. It's changing slowly, little by little, the forces of erosion, the dimmer switch going up a notch, slowly, slowly, slowly. Thank you. Perfect. Have a good day. Thank you, Barbara E. Okay, we've got four minutes 
W, Janice PM, if you each would take two minutes, we can get both of you. Go ahead, Deb. Okay. I'm going to just go through this quickly. Yeah, there's a lot to this. Uh, it brings back memories of, uh, you know, it, it, the wording is highly strained, abnormal situation. And, you know, the 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 words uh, allude to the fact that this this is something that happened after we had a happy past. And now because of the drinking and the eating, the past isn't as happy. Well, I came into a marriage coming straight from an alcoholic home. And so there was never a normal to base, uh, you know, what it used to be like. And I, I remember when my husband, who was rage and anger, uh, would perform. And, <clears throat> of course, he got the attention. He got the the fingers that shifted him, but then I was able to quietly uh, do my thing with the food and sedate when he's gone to work. I just, I didn't deal, I didn't come up front. I wasn't honest about what was going on and how I was affected because later on I could get that chocolate cake and get rid of all that anger and rage. I mean, so, you know, who? how could they tell me that, you know, it isn't a 50, it's a 50-50 thing in a marriage. You're you're half right and she's half wrong. And no, look at him. Look how he's behaving. You know, he is uh, mostly wrong and I'm mostly right. Having kids who wouldn't come over to the house because they didn't want to see daddy and mama constantly go back and forth. At. Yeah, I brought a lot to this marriage. I won't go into the list. I listed it. I brought a lot of sick stuff to the marriage. And so, and the thing of it is, too, we don't have a, uh, we can't, you know, I can't tell you, you know, how I can correct this. We're going through this the first time trying to get better because I've never been through it healthy and well. But anyway, with that, I'm going to pass. Thank you. Thank you, Deb W. Great timing. James PM, it's your turn. Take us out. You got two minutes. Okay, please time me. Yes. Good morning to you and good morning to everyone. My name is Janice PM and I'm a grateful recovered compulsive overeater. Years of living with a compulsive overeater is almost sure to make any husband, wife, child a neurotic. Well, I'm gonna give you a little story of my son. In the mor- when I was in the disease, I used to wake up, and the first thing I used to say is, Lenny, that was my son's name, please get me the donuts. He said, Ma, you told me not to get you the donuts. He says, you're not having donuts anymore. I says, just this time. Instead of get a dozen, get six, you know. And the poor child would not know whether to go, whether not to go. Then another time I, he'd say, do you want some donuts? I'd say, no. Now, you know I'm not eating donuts. The, the kid became neurotic. He he really did. He didn't know what, what way to turn. And, yes, this is what, what this disease, this disease, you know, um, has, has very um, common characteristics of myself anyway as a compulsive overeater. I was either demanding or I was depending on you. You know, that was my personality trait. You know, I could, I would, I would have unreasonable demands, or I would say, oh, okay, now, you know, ba 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 ba. So I'd have to either punish you or pamper you. And, you know, <laughs> 
boy, am I learning. And today, you know, I don't have the shame, and I don't have um, – and that's gone. God has, you know, um, cleared me of that because I know I can just change with his help. And, um, you know, it is all about each one wants to take the lead. We all are selfish. I don't care who it is. We all have that. And uh, today it's quite different. You know, my son used to say, well, you told me to, and uh, what could I say? And with that, I'm going to pass. Thanks. Thank you, Janice PM. And with that, we have come to the end of our hour so quickly once again. Thank you to everyone who has shared. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. And our share ID for today, Monday, September 24th, the 7 a.m. meeting is 11,950-11950. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the Serenity Prayer. Anne, Allison L., would you read for us, please, from page 164? I sure will. Good morning. This is Allison L., recovered compulsive reader in Ohio. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.